we did a, a study on the Bible and if the Bible was really the Word of God. You'll remember Lee Strobel led that study that we did, and he was a f- former atheist and a former reporter and for the Chicago Times. And it was his testimony of how he not only researched the Bible to try and prove to his wife who had become a Christian that Christianity was a lie, the Bible wasn't the Word of God, and how in that process of being an atheist and a reporter for the Times, that he ended up becoming a passionate follower of Christ. One of the philosophers that he interviewed was a philosopher by the name of J.P. Moreland that I've read a number of his books, and some of you have told me that you've read some of his writings as well. J.P. Moreland is a, is a philosophy professor. His specialty is not theology. His specialty is not archaeology, but it's philosophy. Philosophers tend to be a unique lot, and if you took philosophy in college, if you took philosophy 101, you understand why they're a very unique lot. As a matter of fact, in one study I read quite a number of years ago, this may have been changed, but the two number one professions for suicide, the highest rates of suicide, were dentists and philosophers. They've reasoned that the reason for dentists is because nobody ever wanted to go see them. They reasoned for the philosophers was they could never figure out the world and life was just a conundrum to them and they got lost. And again, that's an old survey and study that I read years ago. And so I have no idea whether that stat is as true now as it was then. But philosophy tends to be confusing to a lot of people. But J.P. Moreland is one of those that has a strong, firm, vibrant faith in Christ. J.P. Moreland was scheduled to deliver a series of lectures all week long. He was scheduled to speak at a church on a weekend. Plus, he was scheduled to do some speaking during the week for different small groups at night that had asked him to come in California where he teaches at a local university there. He testifies how that he lost his voice and got one of the most painful cases of laryngitis he ever had. He said it was like swallowing glass. And he went to the doctor, and the doctor told him, he says, you're going to have to cancel all of your speaking engagements. You're going to have to cancel classes. And he whispered to the doctor, he says, I can't do that. He said, this is one of the most demanding weeks I have. And he says, well, you're not going to be able to talk, so you have to cancel. And so that weekend, he went to his local church, and like you're here at Woodland, and, and after the service, he said, I don't even <clears throat> know how to explain this, but after the service, he said, I'm walking out the door, and two men from the church just walk over to me, and they say, JP, we understand you've got laryngitis, and we want to pray for you. And he said, I didn't think much about it, but he said, I didn't want to discourage these two brothers who wanted to pray for me. And so these two brothers laid hands on me, and one of them anointed me with oil, and he says, I can't explain this, but he said, suddenly I felt warmth and heat rushing through my body, and I was completely healed. I was able to speak. I delivered a week full of lectures. I delivered the three uh, television presentations we were supposed to do, plus spoke to the small groups that week. Moreland makes the statement in his philosophy class that we make a mistake when we try to box God out of the universe and we miss what God has for us. How many of you can say amen to that? And yet healing is one of those things that 
I'm very, very cautious of how I address it and speak to people about it because there have been so many abuses of this subject. There have been so many promises made, and there have been so many people hurt when it comes to the subject of healing. So this morning, I want to do what we say we always do here at Woodland, and I loved what one of our board members said to me recently when we were talking about our ministry. He says, you know, we do what we always do when we have a question. We ask ourselves, what does the Bible say? So would you read this title on the screen with me this morning? What does the Bible say about healing? Let's say it again. What does the Bible say about healing? We just talked about a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, how that you can trust the Bible and how we know that it's the Word of the Lord. Would you stand with me? And I want to read Matthew 4 and verse 23, and then I'm going to ask you to read it after me. And those of you that are watching online, I hope that you've either downloaded our notes from our website or on our church app. And if not, take careful notes and mark up your Bible as we read this morning. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, Jesus went everywhere teaching preaching and healing all the people's diseases and sicknesses. Let's read this together. Jesus went everywhere. Stop. Where did he go? That means to the job site, to the hospital, to city hall. Wherever he went, Jesus prayed or he prayed, he taught. Wherever he went, he was always teaching. He taught. Say it with me. Teaching. Preaching. Wait a minute. You can teach and you can preach. Somebody one time said to me, he says, don't preach at me. And I said, look, don't use preaching as a pejorative term. I hate that. It's not because I'm a preacher. It's because you reveal your ignorance of what preaching means. Preaching means announcing good news. So do you want me to give you bad news? That's called being a pessimist. That's called being a drag. A preacher brings good news. Look at your neighbor and says, I love preaching. Ah, see, that's good. And you can do that. You preach wherever you go. But look at what else he did. And healing all, how many? All the people's diseases and sicknesses. Father, this is such a sensitive subject. It's good news, but for those that have been disappointed, disillusioned, or hurt, I'm asking you, would you pour in the oil of your anointing into their lives, and would you bring healing to them and help us to see and understand what the Bible says today about healing, for it's in Christ's name I pray, amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. For those of you that are watching online or maybe you're watching later, and I'm going to say, this congregation knows this, but I'm going to say what I always say when I'm sharing my testimony somewhere. You need to know... I. I'm going to be very faithful to the biblical text, but you also need to know this. I've experienced divine healing. I've had over 40 major surgeries. Let that sink into you. Over 40 major surgeries. One of the surgeons at Beaumont Hospital just recently told me after a series of tests I have to go through every year, he said, I don't know what else we could do inside of you. I hope we never have to go inside of you. I've had more than one doctor tell me that. Over 40 major surgeries to heal and to recover from. God is a healing God. And time after time, surgeons have told me, you're a miracle. You don't exist. So when I talk to you this morning about this subject, you need to know I'm very passionate about it. 
But because of what I've experienced, I want other people to experience. On the other hand, you need to know 40 major surgeries should tell you something about my life and my life's journey. But you also need to know that I have the most wonderful, precious grandson named Josiah, whose name means healing, who is a severely disabled little boy that I pray for every day. And some of you here in this church, you pray for with me every single day. Healing is not something that you just put your, your money into a vending machine and out pops healing. Healing is not something that you just get on demand. This is a very sensitive, but it's a very vibrant and living topic inside my life. But before I talk to you about that, let me just point out three really quick lessons. Number one, you can't buy healing. I can't buy healing. You can't buy healing. Healing isn't determined by how much I give in the offering. Healing isn't determined by what I do for God. Healing is all of God's grace. There was a time in church history when there were some people who called themselves Christians. They were selling indulgences in order to fund a, a church building project. And, and in selling these indulgences, they were also selling miracles. Becky and I have been to those places where people would pray to skulls or they would want to touch a bone and because they believed there was healing power in those bones. And somehow or another, they believed that God would heal them if they could just get to that place. And yet the Bible makes it very clear you can't buy the healing of God. Let me read you kind of a lengthy passage, and I want to read it from the message this morning so you get the full impact. There was a man named Simon. He was a, he was a magician. He is someone that had made his living with trying to do things that deceived people. So I want you to know who he was. When Simon saw that the apostles, by merely laying on hands, conferred the Spirit, he pulled out his money. In other words, he grabbed his wallet, and he said, sell me your secrets. Show me how you do that. How much do you want? Name your price. And Peter said, to hell with your money, and along, you along with it. Why, that's unthinkable, trying to buy God's gift. You'll never be a part of what God is doing by striking bargains and offering bribes. Say that with me. Striking bargains and offering bribes. Say it again. Striking bargains and offering bribes. Change your ways and now ask the master to forgive you for trying to use God to make money. And there have always been religious quacks that have tried to make money off of miracles and signs and wonders. There have always been those people who have told you, to, and you've heard me say this at least a hundred times, if you'll send me a thousand dollars, you'll be blessed. And my reply to that is, if you've got a thousand dollars, you are blessed already. <laughs> Can you say amen to that? You see, they, they're trying to use Signs and wonders and miracles and people's hurts and needs is a way of making money. Second thing, that when I'm sick, I need to be courageous. When I'm sick, I need to be courageous. Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 33, he said, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. What did he tell them? He told them about his presence. He was going away. The Holy Spirit would come and live with us and be in us. He said, but here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Take heart is another way of saying 
being courageous, be encouraged. You've heard it in movies where a captain or an admiral would say to the sailors or to the soldiers, men, take heart in a battle. Take heart. Be courageous. But take heart because I've overcome the world. But circle those two words, trials and sorrows. How many of you have had sorrow in your life? Can I see your hand? I mean, deep sorrow that you could feel. I mean, the kind of sorrow that just rattles your soul and sometimes even shakes your faith, the kind of sorrow that comes along. Jesus said those times would come in our life because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where sin is rampant and everywhere, but where sin abounded, the Bible says, grace did much more abound. The third thing I want you to see this morning is God still works through miracles, signs, and wonders. There are still people that are teaching that when Jesus gave his life at Calvary, the day of miracles was over, that when Jesus went back to heaven, there were no more miracles, there were no more signs, there were no more wonders. But you can't prove that from the Bible because throughout the book of Acts, it says there were signs and wonders going on. So there's another group of people said when the original apostles died, then all the signs and wonders stopped. You can't prove that from the Bible because there were lay people praying. Like Philip, that there were miracles happening and signs and wonders taking place. And how do you explain, and I don't believe I'm exaggerating at all. I don't want to sound like Scrooge McDuck from DuckTales, but there have been billions and billions of miracles that have happened throughout the last 2,000 years. I am one of them, and some of you in this church are one of them as well. Can we give them a lo the Lord a hand of praise for that? There have been so many miracles. I would recommend two or three books to you, Eric Metaxas' book on miracles. I would also recommend to you a book by Peter Kreeft on miracles. He is a Catholic philosopher I would recommend to you. But I would also recommend one of the guys from the Assemblies of God who is just a tremendous author and very well respected across all denominations. I would recommend his, he's got a two-volume collection of, on miracles, but he has a much shorter volume written for, for lay people about miracles. I would recommend Craig Keener's book on miracles. The one about Metaxas is a fast, quick, easy read. The one by Keener, it'll just richly deepen your soul. The one by Kreef will help you talk to people about how God works in signs and wonders today. But let's look, because this is an interesting passage that I want to anchor most of my remarks from this morning. Are any of you suffering? The Greek word there, and I hope you never think I'm trying to impress you with Greek. I just want you to see how important these words are. The Greek word there is kakapatheo. And that's a strange-sounding word, but it's an important word that you just need not to know the Greek, but know there's a little bit of difference here as we go through this passage. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. You should pray. Look at your neighbor and say, if you're suffering, you should pray. You should pray. I mean, that's just, you should pray. Don't wait till I pray for you. Don't wait till Pastor Corey prays for you. Don't wait till a, a deacon prays for you. Just simply pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Anybody happy in here this morning? Do you remember this song? I've got something to sing about. That something is a someone, and since I found him, I can't live without him. You don't know that song? It's from the 60s. And it's about Jesus, by the way. <laughs> Are any of you happy you should sing praises? Are any of you sick? The word there is a, a thesaneo. 
Thessalonica, or any of you sick, so it's different than the suffering, are you sick, you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. That word is kamano. It's a different word altogether. And the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's why we stopped this morning and we searched our hearts. We asked the Lord to search our hearts so that we took communion with clean hands and a pure heart. For the earnest prayer of a righteous person, and I'm looking out at people this morning, you're not righteous because of anything you've done. You're righteous because of what Jesus has done for you. Can you say amen to that? I told the story last week of talking to the man that I met last week and just sharing with him that if the Bible says the pure in heart are going to see God, then the only way I'm going to see God is because of what Jesus did for me. It's not what I've done for Jesus. There is no righteousness in me, but all of my righteousness and all of your righteousness is of Christ. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? I mean, that's hugely... Because some people miss out and their faith gets weak because they're looking at how righteous they are. It's not a matter of how good I am. It's a matter of how good Jesus is. And that's the understanding I want you to get here. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Look at your neighbor and say, I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me. Dave, I want you to pray for me. And I promise I'm going to pray for you. Can you will you agree with me on that? We're going to pray for each other because I know you're a righteous man. Not because you're that great, but because Jesus is that great. And you know that I'm a righteous man, not because I'm that great, but because Jesus is that great. And what happens when we pray for each other, wonderful, powerful things begin to happen. Now, Elijah... now. Here's something important about Bible study. So when he's talking about this, he's saying Elijah's just like you and me. Elijah is not a super saint. Elijah is not a super apostle. You know, the Pope is no better than you or me. A pastor is no better than you are. You know, that's not the point. The point, we're all saved by the blood of the Lamb. Somebody say amen again. Are you following me here? Because this is important. So he's saying Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. In other words, when he prayed again, things began to grow. Are there things that need to grow again in your life? Are there dry spells that you've been through in your life? Are there droughts that you've walked through? Droughts spiritually, droughts financially, droughts relationally that you've walked through? And this morning, you need the rain of the Holy Spirit to fall on your soul. Things are going to begin to grow again. Isn't that exciting? I mean, do you feel like I feel when you finally see spring come to Michigan? I'm walking out. I'm checking the trees for buds. I'm looking for grass to turn green. And suddenly, after our long, gray, ungodly winters, the sun begins to shine. The snow begins to melt. And 
Things begin to grow again, and flowers come out, and birds are back. It's just a wonderful time. I am asking God to do that in your life and in my life and in our church today. Based on this passage, then, whenever I should pray for healing are these times when I'm suffering and when I'm having trouble. If I am suffering, then the Bible says I need to start praying. I need to seek the face of God. Next Sunday, we're going to begin 21 days of prayer and fasting here at this church, and we're just simply going to be praying for signs and wonders wonders and miracles and for lost people to come to know Jesus Christ. How many of you want to agree with me on that? We're going to take one meal a day. If you're able to medically, we're going to take one meal a day. I'm asking whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner. We're going to fast that and we're going to pray for one another, pray for our community and pray for our church. But when I'm having trouble, then the Bible says I need to pray. The Bible says that when I'm sick, when I'm weak or something's going on in my life, I need to pray. I need to call out upon the name of the Lord and ask him to touch me and heal me. But it also says pray for the sick person. That word anestheteo, it means one who is giving up, one who is ready to give up. They've lost hope. Have you ever been in that place where you lost hope and you thought you weren't going to get better? Have you ever walked through that time in your life when a marriage fell apart, your business fell apart, a, a son or daughter, there was a broken relationship there in your life, and you just you gave up hope and you thought, how can I go on? And the Bible says that person should pray, but you and I need to come alongside of them, not condemn them, not criticize them, not fault find with them. We need to pray for for them. The problem is some Christians have a tongue so long that it wouldn't fit across the front of this church. They would rather criticize and fault find than spend time on their knees praying that God would heal, encourage, and lift up the spirits of their brother and sister. They're thinking if I can find something wrong, then I can keep it happening for me. Let me tell you something. In this world, Jesus says, you, 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 and me are going to have troubles and sorrows. And so there comes a time where we take this sick person and we lift them up to the Lord. And then there are those times where there's no rain in our life and we go through those dry spells and we just simply ask the Lord to come and touch us again. And then there's one more time. Anytime that I'm in pain, anytime I'm sick, anytime I'm tired, I need to pray. And I just need to look at this verse of Scripture that where Elijah prayed, and I said, Lord, see, we don't get it sometimes we read yield its crops, but we all can feel when something needs to grow again. Becky lost a tree this year. It was so biblical. It was so biblical. It was funny. She lost a tree. I wanted to put the tree out to the side of the road, and just like the good steward or the good gardener in the Bible, Becky says, no, let me see if I can save it. I go, Becky, it's dead. There are no leaves on it. It's lost all of its leaves. Something has killed your tree. And I didn't like looking at a dead tree. I didn't like looking at a tree without leaves. And she says, no, leave it alone. I want to take care of it. And many of you know, there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Ghost, and then there's my wife. 
So I left the tree, and sure enough, in a few weeks, it began to put on leaves. Now it's in full bloom. Then it began putting on flowers again. And we would sit there at the table, and she would never say it, but I could see it in those little blue eyes of her. I told you so. I told you so. And it's just a beautiful tree because sometimes we need God to move in our life where we grow again. Maybe you've plateaued and you need to grow some more. Maybe you feel like you slip back and like Chuck Swindoll wrote a book one time called Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Backwards. You feel like you've lost some ground and you need to grow again. Maybe you've just sorrowed for long enough. It's been two years. It's been three years. It's been four years and you're still stuck in that place of grieving and you're not moving on with life. The Lord has sent me here to tell you this morning it's time to lift up your head. It's time to trust the Word of God. It's time to pray for the latter day rain to fall upon your life so that you begin to grow again. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. You need to grow. But then I come to this question that I'm asked so oftentimes, well, pastor, what happens if someone isn't healed? Don't be afraid of that question. And we've got to admit, we don't always know what is going on in someone's life. I don't always know what's going on in someone's life. I only know what they tell me. I do know this, and this is not in your outline, so you may want to write this down. I do know God always wants what's best for you. Say that with me. God always wants what's best for you. Now look at your neighbor and say, God always wants what's best for you. Always. Never a time where God doesn't want what's best for you. He always wants good in your life. And what I think is best for my life doesn't always line up with what God thinks is best in my life. Can I ask you a question? If you had a 16-year-old son and he came to you and says, oh, Father, I love you so much. Dad, you're the greatest dad in the world. Would you buy me a brand-new Corvette? No. Because you don't want your son to die. No 16-year-old in his right mind is going to drive a Corvette the speed limit. Last night, three cars were racing down the highway. When they came by, they were just, just like that. And, of course, I'm driving Becky's hybrid, so there was no way I could keep up with them. But I, I, I saw each of them come by. They were all young and dumb. They were just flying down the highway. You know what's best for your children. So God says that I should just ask, even if I don't always know why I'm not being healed. Remember, I had 43 major surgeries. You just keep praying. I have a disabled grandson, and I keep praying, and I keep asking you to pray. Why? Because Romans chapter 12 and verse 12 says, be joyful because you have hope. Ladies and gentlemen, I have hope. I stand here today because of hope. I stand here today because of faith, hope, and love. And there is a little boy that I love so much named Josiah. I have hope for Josiah because the God I serve always wants what is best for you and for me this morning. Always, always, always. Any coward can give up. Anybody can say, well, I'm just being realistic and give up. But people who press through, 
they're this. They're patient when trouble comes, and they pray at all times. A few weeks ago when we went to church with Dana and Josiah and the boys, and we walked in, and I watched as a church just surrounded Dana and loved on Josiah and welcomed them. And Sunday, Andrew called me, and he says, Dad, he says, this morning... Josiah really enjoyed the pastor's sermon. I said, yeah. He goes, yeah. And you just have to know Josiah. Bright lights fascinate him. Loud sounds. So he loves his papa. Loud sounds fascinate him. And he said the pastor got really loud while he was preaching this morning. And Josiah can only make noises. And he, he doesn't have any thumbs. And so he's clapping his little hands. And he's kicking. And, and everybody just kind of loses it because Josiah is in the moment. And the pastor looked out. And he says, there is nothing that has blessed me more than that child to enjoy what I'm saying this morning. See, even Josiah has joy in his little six-year-old heart. He has hope. The Bible says, always be joyful because you have hope and be patient when trouble comes and pray at all times. I'm being patient. Why? Because I know that one day the answer is on the way. Can we give him one more hand of praise this morning? I, I hope you feel this the way I do. The second thing, then, I would say is ask God to make your faith stronger. Ask God to increase your faith. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 5, the disciples looked at Jesus, and they simply knew their faith was not where it should be, so they just simply said, Lord, make our faith stronger. And I would encourage you to make this your prayer this week. Say, Lord, make my faith stronger. Increase my faith. But then a third question I would ask you, is God trying to get my attention and redirect my life. Sometimes when I'm sick, sometimes when I've had trouble come into my life, that is God's way of getting my attention. Maybe I have quit praying. Maybe I've quit serving the Lord as fervently as I used to. Maybe something is that I've just ignored what God is calling me to do, and in ignoring that, God allows, remember, God is sovereign, and God allows something to come in my life. Listen, God allows something to come into my life because he's wanting my attention and he wants to redirect my life. In Psalms 23 and verse 2, and this is not in your outline, the Bible says that the good shepherd leads me beside the still waters and he restores my soul. The reason he leads us beside still waters is because sheep will not drink from troubled water. They will not drink from running water. So when they get to the still water, they can see their reflections and they will drink. Sometimes God puts us on a bed of sickness, puts us in a place where beside the still waters we can see our lives and we can refocus upon the Lord, we can maybe confess our sins, we can redirect our paths, and the Bible says then he restores our soul. You're saying, Pastor, does God make people sick? I don't believe God makes people sick, but we live in a fallen world, and there are times if we are not following him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, he may lift his hand in order to get our attention. Peter Lord's son, who was a pastor in Titusville, Florida, Peter Lord's son, he had bailed him out so many times from jail, from getting in trouble for drugs, for reckless driving, and one night he was on his way to bail his son out of jail again, and he said, he just felt the Holy Spirit speak to his heart and said, Peter, what are you doing? I'm trying to save your son, and you're getting in the way by bailing him out every time. Let him suffer the consequences of his decisions and I can save him. 
So Peter said he turned around, didn't call his son, turned around, went right back home, and didn't bail his son out. His son spent several months in jail. His son came out of jail, decided that the gospel was right, gave his heart to Jesus Christ, and Peter's son is serving the Lord today in the ministry. Sometimes God allows trouble or sorrow to redirect the paths of our life. Then finally this morning, I would ask myself this, will this give me an opportunity to glorify God? What I'm going through, will it give me an opportunity to glorify God? Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was dying. Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 11 and verse 4, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Three things you need to see. God was in control, God is sovereign, and God knows what he's doing. Now look at that passage again. God is in control, God is sovereign, and God knows what he's doing. But learn from the example of Martha and Mary. Even though they didn't understand why, they didn't stop from sending a prayer request to Jesus. And when they got there, Jesus gently chided them. He didn't rebuke them, but he gently chided them because they had given up because Lazarus had died. And they said these words, Jesus, if you'd just been here. Jesus, if you'd just been here. Sometimes your small group leader can't be there. Sometimes your pastor can't be there. But Jesus is always with you. But if Jesus doesn't answer your prayer when you want him to, don't give hope, give up hope. Because Jesus went to the tomb and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Friends, hear me in this. God is in control. God knows what he's doing. And God will always work for what's best for your good and for his glory. Somebody say amen. You say, now, Pastor, how do you know that? Because in one time, Jesus prayed in Luke 22 and verse 42. He says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup, the cup of suffering. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's what I do when I pray and I don't understand sometimes. I simply trust the Lord because 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 says, this is the confidence that I have in him. If I ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then I want to give you one more question and we'll do the growth work. And honey, if you'll come on to the piano. I have walked through this so many times with people. And I, I want to be sensitive, and I want you to hear me. And those of you listening online, I want you to listen probably more carefully to this point than any point that I'm going to make today. Recently, I was invited to a meeting to speak. And I spoke on this subject that all of us are going to die. And so what kind of legacy will you leave behind? Death is not something we like to think about. We ignore death in this culture. We ignore death in this society. Becky and I were talking about this in the car. We lost so many people we love. Friends, family, cousins, church members during COVID. One day, one of the deacons from the church called me and says, Pastor, I'm praying for you. He says, there's no way you can be dealing with this much death that it's not affecting you. 
and I thanked him. One day I got a call from a friend in Washington, D.C. He says, I'm praying for you. He goes, I felt like when I was praying for you this morning, the Holy Spirit said to me that your soul is traumatized because of all the death you've had to deal with. One of our local funeral home directors came to me during that time, and he sat down beside me, and he says, I want to thank you for not losing your mind and not losing your head during the worst part of COVID. He said, we all learned from you during that time. I don't tell you that to garner sympathy. I tell you that that you can understand that more than anything, I want to identify with you when you go through times of great sorrow and loss. And the question is, are you ready to die? Are you ready to enter eternity? You have no idea how many children's funerals I've preached, how many teenagers' funerals I've preached, how many accident victims I've preached. Are you ready to enter eternity? And so if suddenly you are seized with a horrible disease, if you're seized with a horrible health problem, don't ignore that. But ask yourself the question, is God preparing me to enter eternity? I had a young businessman call me. By all outside measurable standards, he is uber successful. He's an investment banker. He has a corner office in one of our high-rise buildings. We've built a relationship through the years. He called me and he says, my dad didn't tell us. There's no closure. He died and there's so many unanswered questions, but he would never tell us. And I'm sure his motives were good. He didn't want them to worry, didn't want them to hurt. He said to me, Pastor Clanton, my family, my sisters, my brothers, my children, we're all hurting. He goes, if he'd have told us, we could have walked through this together with him. You see, when sickness comes, we have to ask ourselves, am I prepared to enter eternity? And your family needs more than a life insurance policy. Your family needs a conversation. Your family needs a journey with you. Your family needs to hug and say goodbye. You need to say hug and say goodbye. You need to leave with those memories. That's not morbid. That's saying, I want you to be ready when Jesus comes. I want you to know we're separated from eternity just by this very thin, misty veil. And this body may quit working, but I am going to be more alive than I've ever been before. I will be in the presence of Christ, and I will be waiting on you. I will be looking for you. I love you. Don't miss it for anything in the world. Can you say amen this morning? You've got to prepare. Those of you that have experienced 
what my friend has experienced. Those of you who have come from an extreme hyper-faith background where you can't even admit you've got a cold, much less that you've got a terminal disease. And you've got to say the right things, do the right things. Or maybe your family has been the victim of a suicide. You know what I'm saying. There's been no journey, no closure. The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse 27, everyone has to die once and then face the consequences. Christ's death was also a one-time event, but it was a sacrifice that took care of sins forever. Can you say hallelujah right there? And so when he next appears, the outcome for those eager to greet him is precisely salvation. If I were dying today, I'd look at my children, my grandchildren, and you, and I'd simply say, everybody has to die once. Everybody's got to face the consequences. But I am looking to what Christ did for me at Calvary. I'm not righteous enough, Dave. I'm not good enough. I'm not pure enough. But Jesus Christ made the perfect sacrifice to take away my sins. And now I am waiting precisely for salvation for not only myself, but for my children and my grandchildren and every one of you. So knowing all of this, how can we pray for someone to be healed? Remember, the Bible teaches us that we call God Abba, our Father. Number one, examine our hearts and confess our sins. Take the garbage out in your life. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Number two, have prayer partners. The Bible says the earnest prayer of a believing person will cause things to grow again. Number two, secondly, we anoint with oil when we pray around here. And oil is not magical. We do it because the Bible says so, but oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Just like baptism doesn't save anybody, baptism is a symbol of dying with Christ and living with Christ. That's what baptism is a symbol of. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. Just leave it up to God. Number three, be specific in your prayer. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Let me go back to the Corvette. I respect the kid that comes to his dad at 16. He says, Dad, Mom, can I have a Corvette? Don't tell your kid I can't afford it. Just look at your kid and say no. You'll kill yourself. But here's what you can have. If you work, and I'll help you, you can have this car. Now, it won't be a Corvette, but you can tell that kid, say, you know what? If you work hard and get a good education, if you save your money and manage your money rightly, you can buy a Corvette, and if you'll take Pastor Clanton for a drive in it, God will bless you a hundred times over because that's the will of God for your life. Be specific. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And number four, ask in faith. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Just simply ask boldly. And when you pray, the important thing is faith, the kind of faith that works through love.
I love you. And I want you to know, God still heals. But if he doesn't, God is still in control. And what God does is always good for me and good for you and for his glory. Can you say amen? Stand with me this morning, would you? I want you to close your eyes. I've talked mainly about physical healing this morning, but it, you may need emotional healing, psychological healing. You may need financial healing. You may need healing of your memories. You may have childhood memories that still haunt you and bother you. Take, let's just take a few seconds here. And you think of what it is that you specifically want to ask God to heal you of this morning. Now I want you to hold that need before the Lord. And if you know the person sitting beside you, I want you to take their hand. And I want you to let me pray for you. And then you don't have to ask the other person. I'm going to stop and you pray for that person. Be their prayer partner for just this moment this morning. So, Father, I come to you this morning. And where there is physical sickness, I thank you that you, according to Isaiah and according to the Gospels, and according to 1 Peter, you took our sins and our sicknesses, our infirmities, Lord. You took them to the cross. Lord, we are commanded in the Scriptures. We're not requested. We're commanded to pray for one another that they might be healed. So I pray for physical healing from cancer, I pray for physical healing from the COVID virus that's sweeping through our community again. I pray for physical healing for those that are suffering from long-term COVID consequences. Lord, I pray for physical healing of those with heart issues this morning. God, you would strengthen and restore blood flow I pray for physical healing for those whose bodies have been affected by strokes, whether TIAs or massive strokes, Lord. God, I pray for those this morning that, God, their skeletal system is failing them. There are some young adults that have asked us to pray. There are some older adults, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus for divine healing in their lives right now. Now, Father, we pray for those with emotional scars. And Lord, they just won't heal a memory, a painful time, a fragrance, a thought will bring and just open that wound and it oozes all over again. And God, suddenly the sun disappears and clouds cover their thoughts. And God, they're wanting to just pull away and cocoon and be by themselves. Deliver them in the name of Jesus and heal them, I pray. Pour the oil of joy in to heal the brokenhearted. 
Lord, to restore their song. Oh, right now, somebody, you just need to receive that. Receive the oil of joy the Lord wants to pour into your life. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray for those that were neglected and abused as children. God, they have sworn up and down that will never happen to their, their families, their kids. But Lord, they struggle at times with bitterness and unforgiveness and they're sensitive and defensive. I pray in the name of Jesus. God, let the secure feeling that comes that God is my Father. I can trust Him. And then finally, Lord, what I fear may be the most misunderstood part of what I preach this morning, I pray the Holy Spirit will help us all. The fact that I prepare to enter eternity doesn't mean, Lord, that I stop praying for healing. But when that time comes for me, when that time comes for these that are either online or in the sanctuary, May we be like Jacob. May we call together, Lord, our sons and our daughters. And may we bless them. May we have that conversation with them and walk out those last days, not sad and gloomy, but talking about the faithfulness of God and how we have come this far by faith in Jesus Christ. For it's in your holy name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Can we give him a hand of praise now? <laughs> Hallelujah. Now here's what I want you to do. Don't move. I want you to listen. When you leave this church today, every one of you can pray for people to be healed. I mean, I want to pray with you whenever you need prayer. I want the deacons to pray. I want your small groups. But every one of you that name the name of Jesus, you can pray for. So when somebody tells you they're sick, will you just stop? You don't have to make it a long prayer like I just did. Just, just say, can I pray for you right now? And in passing, whether it's at the bank, whether it's at City Hall, whether it's been at the Capitol, I, I have just simply said, can I pray with you right now? And people always say yes. And I'll take them by the hand and I'll say, Lord, would you bring your divine healing into their life today and grant them peace? And I promise to continue to pray for them in Jesus' name. And I pray for Jewish people, Muslim people, atheists. You can pray for people. Can you say amen? So if I say I'm sick, I want you to stop right then and say, Pastor, let me pray for you, all right? God bless you. I love you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord.